Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy, the TDN Podcast. Fantasy Podcast. With your host, Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast, Paige Demakos, Jake Arians, and Jamie Eisner. And listen, we have quite a few coaching things that have happened in the last couple of days that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a big injury in the NFL that impacts the games that are coming up because the guy that missed last week that kind of showed up on the injury report late, didn't really know about it when we were discussing these games. And then now it's looking like he's going to be sitting out in this game. It's going to have a big impact on defense. We obviously too have two very, very big games to break down all that comes with that. And lastly, we have to talk about how Odell Beckham Jr. continues to be a jackass because there really is no other way to describe what he's doing. And it seems like we get through one day and then we get a new video and then we get another day and we get a new video. So we'll get into that as well. But we're going to start off the top of the podcast with Kellen Moore calling plays Jamie in in Dallas. We've obviously talked about this this whether this was going to happen right because of the the differences in philosophy in Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore but that this might happen and now it looks like it's going to and what does this mean for the Dallas Cowboys offense well I think it's good things early on like let's be the realistic part of this is that Mike McCarthy has the right to take those play calling rights away whenever he damn well pleases as he should uh, but it, look the offense performed excellently last year Kellen Moore did a very good job in his first year calling plays as the offensive coordinator for Dallas we saw, we saw again, we saw huge passing totals for Dak Prescott. We know what they're going to do with Zeke. It's good to have some of that continuity on offense going into a new season. They're, the Dallas Cowboys aren't like a lot of these teams that have a new coach. They're going in with Super Bowl expectations immediately right out of the shoot. So having some continuity on offense, even through the offseason, is a good thing. And it's also a good thing for McCarthy just to wait, wait, sit back and see how this offense can perform. If there are issues, if there are adjustments that need to be made, They'll be made, but I like keeping this continuity a little bit with an offense that has shown they can have some success on that side of the ball already with the same players, with the same scheme. I like that they're keeping it going into next year. Yeah, I mean, my thoughts are they're going to fix a lot of what he doesn't like this offseason OTAs training camp. I do like the continuity. They did finish uh, number one in total offense. The problem with finishing number one in total offense in yards, they didn't finish number one in points. I'm not sure where they were, but I know they weren't in the top five. Uh, That's an issue. So I think there's going to be some stuff there that Mike wants to address. I think they will lean more on Zeke. He will have an influence through OTAs and training camp. But I like the continuity, like Jamie said, of having the same play caller, the same offensive system, scheme, verbiage, all those things guys struggle to learn. They're going to be in their second year of the offense. I think Mike's influence schematically, the reading, you know, breaking down defenses, all that kind of stuff will help Kellen Moore uh, as a young play caller. And by all accounts, we've talked about Kellen Moore not having a big ego. He's going to want to learn from Mike McCarthy, who's done this at a very high level for a long time, uh, who's going to have a ton of input putting this offense, re-putting it together this offseason. I mean, I don't think you can diminish how much work goes into these coaches this time of year before you ever get to OTAs and the league year starting in April – and going into you know passing camps, it's a new staff, so you get that extra mini camp. All those kind of things uh, all go into revamping it, but you still have the same words. And the way that he calls plays could be different. But I love Mike's influence on it, and I love the fact that they're keeping a really good young coach. To that point, Jake, you mentioned about ego. Do you think this is going to? Do you think this is going to help 
make this offense better? Cause like they, like we said, they did finish as the number one offense last year. Is this offense is what we saw last year, the best version of this offense, or can they make this a better offense coming into this season? No, because that's a, that's the dumbest stat in football. The number one offense based off yards. Last time I checked, you don't get any damn points for yards. You get points for scoring <laughs> points. Yep. And they weren't in the top five. So, yes, they could absolutely be better. There were times where it looked ridiculously explosive. There were times where it was completely stagnant. I think Mike's influence on it will be tremendous. I mean, you're talking about, yes, the, the West Coast offense as is, is kind of archaic. And Kellen Moore is more of this college spread, new age stuff. But I think you mix those two things together with two guys that want to win and a young guy that wants to learn and doesn't have the ego of it's my way or the highway, I'm calling plays, all that stuff. Uh, I think it's going to be tremendous. I think Mike's influence on it and, and having new staff members with it. I mean, Kellen's got to teach his offense to the rest of the guys on staff. I'm not sure how many of them are staying on that offense, but it's not going to be all of them. Uh, but I think the mix of all of it together will be tremendous for this offense. And I think everything's going to go through Zeke. Yeah, putting up points and yards when it matters and against good defenses is where the improvement comes. So look, sure. the Dallas says just on talent alone, and we saw it when they played, faced lesser opponents last year, they can blow you out of the water. They're just, they have so much talent, but – when you're playing the Buffaloes of the world, when you're playing the Philadelphias of the world, when you're playing some of these other teams that are going to take away an element of your game, then having success at a high – again, you're not going to have maybe the highest level of success, but a high level of success given your talent level, that is where the improvement needs to come. I know they can beat up on the bad teams. We watched the first three weeks For of sure. last season. They have so much freaking talent. They can beat up on those teams. Where they need to improve is when it matters. It's crunch time. You're facing tough opponents in November and December. Can you get the job done? And this year, the answer was no. For sure. Especially to that point, Jamie, I think the biggest thing with that is their identity. Mm -hmm. They never had a true identity. One week, they're a passing team and Zeke's non-existent and Dak's lighting it up and leading the second NFL in passing yards. Uh, They never had, what do we go to in crunch time? So to your point, when you're playing those good teams – and it's time to do what we do. Baltimore did what they did all the way to the second round of the playoffs. They just came out and were flat and they were rusty. But they did what they did against everybody. Dallas was good enough that they could do a lot of different stuff, but they never really established the identity of what this offense is. Does it go through Zeke and, and this great offensive line, or does it go through Dak? And I think that, that dichotomy, that, that struggle right there, is something they're going to really have to address because they're going to have to pay Dak. And Dak doesn't, Dak's not a big ego guy. He doesn't care about his numbers. He wants to win. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case with Zeke, but Zeke's your best way to win. And this team didn't have a true identity on offense. I think that's what they're going to need to establish this offseason. What are we going to be? And that's what we're going to be. So when in crunch time, we're going to hand it to Zeke, this offensive line. We'll play action off of that. But everything goes through that. They didn't have that this year, in my opinion. And that's one thing I want to see with this coaching change because the one thing I was very critical of Jason Garrett for, and this is something that, again, from the outside looking in that I perceive to be a problem. It always seemed to me that he would make adjustments before teams forced him to make adjustments. And they would almost go, okay, well, the the opponent thinks we're going to do X, so let's do Y right away and just forget X all of a sudden. And sometimes X, in this case, running the ball with Zeke, is your best way to win, as Jake said. So I'm very interested to see how that element plays. Do they say, you know what, if something is working, let's keep with it. Let's not adjust before we're forced to adjust, which I thought Jason Garrett was always – almost trying to play one step ahead, but it was hurting his team in the process. That's a good point, Jamie, because I think that's why a lot of people were critical of Jason Garrett, because I can think of a lot of moments in big games, specifically the moment I'm thinking about is against Minnesota on primetime where Dak is just balling. And he all of a sudden, he just, in a critical moment, 
you're going, why are you taking the ball out of Z- out of Dak's hands? Like they were not running the ball well because Minnesota has a really good defense and they were stopping Zeke and Dak was tearing them apart. And then he just kept going. It was, it was overthinking, right? Yeah. Where, what you're discussing, where you're trying to overthink decisions. And I think that's probably what happened. And yeah, but Jason Garrett wasn't calling the plays. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, that's Kellen Moore was calling the plays who was staying. So yeah. how, how much influence did, did – was it Jason in his ear? And how much are we blaming Jason when it was Kellen Moore that is a first-year play caller that could have been could have been doing this? That's fair. Although this I, I, I don't know how much of it's on Jason Garrett, but it does go back farther than Kellen Moore. Yeah, I, I, I get your point. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but there is – I think that of having the veteran presence of Mike McCarthy, that offensive guy that's been there, done that, that wants a true identity. And Mike's problem at times was his identity. They, they didn't change fast enough. Yeah. Right. I think it'll be an interesting, it's going to be really interesting to look at how that works, but I love the fact that they're keeping him. And I think the two mixing together, I think is going to pay huge dividends for the Cowboys offensively. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of Cowboys fans weren't, I don't want to say enthusiastic, but it's true. They were not enthusiastic about Mike McCarthy as the head coach. And I think they're wrong on that, but I think I, I understood they, the apprehension to that hire because of what Jake just spoke about. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out and, and how it, uh, listen, there's going to be a short window here on, on getting this Dallas Cowboys team to make it happen. And I, Jerry's not, Jerry has been shown to be overly patient in certain scenarios, but I have a feeling this is going to be one of those times. He's not going to be that patient. Look, the expectation, I mean, no other job is coming with the expectation of you win your division now. Yeah, exactly. That's what this job comes with. You win the division now. And you win playoff games. Plural. Like, like that's what the expectation is. Uh, so it's, that's a heavy <laughs> one to head into. Speaking of Jason Garrett, he is going to be interviewing or has interviewed for the Giants offensive coordinator position. Jake, what are your thoughts on the fact that we kind of assumed that Jason Garrett was going to take a full season off and come back and, and take a head coaching job? Didn't think he would, one, go across the division and two, do it this year. And three, take a demotion and take an offensive coordinator job, Jake. Is curious at best. I mean, I guess Jason wants to coach, but if you're Joe Judge, I don't, I don't know that I like if I like it or if it would scare the hell out of me. Like you're a young, 37 year old, first time head coach of the Giants, and you're bringing in the nine year <laughs> reigning head coach of the freaking Cowboys in the division. So while I like the fact that he knows the division, Jason's not an ego guy. I think he'd fit right in, and you could probably lean on him in a lot of ways. I could I could sit here and say, okay, I kind of like it, but Jason hasn't really been the coordinator there for a long time. Scott Linehan was there before Kellen Moore. I don't, I don't know. I don't really don't know how I feel about it. Like it, it, in a lot of ways, it freaks me out. In a lot of ways, I'm like, okay, there's there's something to this, but I mean, if, if, and they don't have a relationship either. That's the other thing. Joe's going to be bringing an offensive coordinator that was a head coach somewhere else that you don't have a relationship with. It, to me, it's weird. Yeah, it's strange to me. I think it would make sense if he was coming in to be like an assistant head coach. The concern I have with him coming in as an offensive coordinator is that Jason Garrett's getting another head coaching job very soon. How many coordinators do you want to run Daniel Jones through early in his career? And while, yes, Joe Judge could lean heavily on Jason Garrett's experience, what he did in Dallas, what he did, even what stuff that Jake's been talking about on the show before, practice schedules, when you do certain things, how you line up certain meetings. My concern is you have a young quarterback that's now going to have another offensive coordinator already. Do you want Jason Garrett's getting a head coaching job in the next two years? So do you want a spot where now Daniel Jones has to learn a third offense in the first three or four years of his career? 
That scares me. So even though he is qualified for the position, overqualified for the position in, in some aspects, I don't know if that makes sense as a coordinator. It makes Maybe as an assistant head coach, uh, as an advisor, as somebody that Joe Judge could lean on, although it's a little bit interesting because they don't really have much of a relationship that we know of. But as an offensive coordinator, I just think even though he's qualified for it, this is, the fit doesn't make sense to me because of the young quarterback. He's definitely qualified for it. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But what does his offense look like? Scott yeah. Lanahan brought his own own thing in from Detroit and was there for, what, four or five years? I mean, Jason Garrett hadn't called plays in at least five years. Yeah, like, I, I don't know what his offense looked like. So you go back five years, there was no Dak, there was no Zeke, there was no Amari Cooper. He's basically running North Turner-ish offense. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know what his offense looks like. And then you go, okay, you have a superstar young running back. You've got weapons. You've got a damn good quarterback, but they were running a lot of misdirection nakeds because the quarterback's really athletic and throws good on the run. He's super accurate for the pocket. I'm not really sure what it would even look like. I'm not. I don't know that I love the hire from an offensive point. Like, there's no doubt he's qualified. He's a brilliant guy. I think he'd fit in. There's a lot. It's just weird. Like I really. I don't normally sit on the fence. You guys know that. But yeah. I'm, I'm literally like, okay, I'm leaning one side, and then I go back to the other. But the whole thing of having him over my head. With the New York media as a first-time young head coach, it would it scares the hell out of me. That's the number one reason why I don't think it makes any sense. You use the word weird twice, and I don't think we've said the word weird on this podcast before. Like, there's a reason why. Like, it is a strange scenario that would play out here. And most importantly, if I'm Joe Judge, there's no way in hell I'm bringing in a guy who coached for a decade across in the across the division to New York to then all of a sudden the pressure of is just, uh, you have to understand that that's got to be that would be the first thing that would happen is when is Jason Garrett going to take over the team? Is Joe Judge in over his head? I can already see the New York Post writing these headlines, right? I mean, it's that is a lot of Especially pressure. Especially when you were talking about in November, Jason Garrett being the head coach of the Cowboys. Exactly. I mean, those whole rumors. Exactly. Are awesome. That's why I'm like, ugh. Like, I can see Jason fitting right in. Jason's a great dude that's a ball coach. I can see him fitting in the staff and being fine. And maybe he doesn't want to be a head coach right now. But to Jamie's point, he's going to be eventually. I don't know. I mean, there's a, here's, here's the thing. Like when you're looking at buying houses and you're like, okay, it's okay. It'll do. But you have a, you have a certain thing in mind. Don't buy that house. Like if this is, you have a certain thing you want to hire here and you go, eh, and we're all saying weird and eh, it works. That's not the hire in my opinion. Like if, if that's how, if that's the reaction of all of us, that should be the answer to Joe and the giants. Like then no, that's not the way to go. Yeah, I, I get the upside in the he's overqualified for the job, right? We all agree on that. That's un, that's an understatement. Maybe, maybe. Like, yes, he is. But I would, I'd love to go back and look at the numbers when he was the actual offensive coordinator. They weren't great. They weren't world-beaten on offense. And it's that's been a while. Yeah. Now, he's been involved in all of that, but he was really the CEO figurehead. He wasn't. Scott Linehan ran the offense, period, and did a damn good job. Kellen Moore just finished number one in the league with a completely different offense. And, and Dak, who nobody thought was a true passer, finished second in the NFL in passing yards. I don't know yeah. how much Jason had to do with that. And maybe he had a ton. This is – we don't know. But that makes this even that much more curious, right? Yeah, it's a it's – a, I think you used the word weird, which was perfect, and I used the word strange. And if, it, if the hire does indeed happen, there's going to be a very – weird look like I'm going to look over at the sidelines when Dallas and New York play each other and I'm going to see Jason Garrett in in New York Giants blue next to Joe Judge and I'm going to go 
and this feels this feels strange. Well, yeah, and look, and I think the difference is here is when if you want to do a comp for a young coach, then just, let's go back to every comp that ever makes in Sean McVay. When he brought in when he had Wade Phillips and John Fossil on the staff, those guys weren't immediately looking to leave for head coaching jobs anytime soon. And if there was like this some hypothetical world where you were confident in the offense Jason Garrett was bringing and you knew for a fact that he wasn't taking another job for three or four years, sure, it would make a lot of sense. But all of those other unknowns and the fact that there's a very good chance he takes a job next season uh, that I just I just don't know if it makes any sense to make this hire. Like, again, and, and they're interviews. They, they interview a lot of people, I'm sure. For but, sure. Yeah. I mean, look, if, if Jason Garrett's bringing Dante Skarnecki and – three or four other veteran coaches. He's been Dante Skarnicki, if we all know, is not there. I'm just using him as one of the greatest offensive line coaches ever. Uh, if he's bringing four guys like that with him, and maybe he's the assistant head coach offense, and Scott Lenahan's coming to call the plays, and Jason is just overseeing the offensive side, you still have the same dynamic of the, the press going, well, who's running this? And if they don't win, then Joe is like, okay, you're not the head coach. You're something else, and Jason's really – you still have that same thing. But I think, I think it's Joe wants to hire the best staff possible. So if Jason were to bring all those guys with him, because Joe's a young head coach and hasn't been there, he has a big network, but he hasn't left New England. Uh, then that's one thing. You're still have, you're still going to be better, right? And who cares what the media says at the end of the day if you're the coach? But it's still it's just it's still weird. Like I, I don't know other another way to describe it other than weird. That's the fourth time he's used yeah. the word weird. So it's officially it's officially should not happen. Also, yeah, I mean, like the media stuff that Jake's talking about, it's a factor, but it gets overblown. I mean, but it's also it doesn't really matter because now you have people in New York media that are making burner accounts to make coaches look bad. So which yeah. is what we found out another development from this year. So, yeah, yikes. But as a 37 year old young head coach in New York, it ain't yeah. Carolina. It ain't what Matt no. Rule is doing with. It's not the Arizona Cardinals where everybody's nice. I mean, the most negative thing you're going to get is the, the 4 o'clock afternoon show that questions something because everybody's already been nice to you for the first three shows of the day. In New York, there's 55 shows per hour. Yep. And you're a 37-year-old head coach that's dealing with a bunch of crap that you still have to deal with that media. So, yeah, it gets overblown, and you don't really care what they say, but you do. It's hard to get away from it as a young head coach. As a head coach, period, dealing with the media is a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. I will. We'll we'll get the full blown conversation of uh, from Bruce on dealing with the media regularly. That's I. It's it just is what it is, right? And New York is is the biggest market. It's the Giants, and, and it's the Giants. So it's and it's it's and, not and look, New York and the Jets. It's New York and the Giants. And it look, comes with different expectations. You've bottomed out. You had the second pick in the draft. You yeah. had the sixth pick in the draft. Now you're going to have another top six pick. Like this is. I mean, you, this is the time where people are saying, okay, we've bottomed out for three years. Now you got your running back. You got your quarterback. You're going to get. Somebody with yeah, you got to win. Somebody like now yeah. is the time where people are going to expect tangible progression For back sure. to the playoff picture. Maybe not this year, but progression they're going to want to see. They're going to want to see six or seven wins. Absolutely. Yeah. At, sure. at a minimum. And I don't yeah. know that your defense is ready for that yet. You don't and have to play Daniel Jones. Which uh, he's got to get those fumbles under control. So that would be my number one objective if I was coaching the New York Giants. All right. The Bears have made a couple of different changes on the coaching staff. So we wanted to talk about that. So. Most importantly, we talked about John DeFilippo kind of losing his second offensive coordinating job in the last couple of years. And him, he actually interviewed for the head coaching job the same year that Matt Nagy. So two years ago, John DeFilippo actually interviewed for that Chicago Bears head coaching job. And now he's back in that quarterback coach position 
that he was in Philadelphia with, that he did do a good job with Carson Wentz with, that is the initial reason he was even in the conversation for any of these coaching jobs. So the Bears have now kind of shaken things up. Helfrich is out. Bill Lazor's in. They bring in John DeFilippo. They uh, bring Dave up as the passing game coordinator. So they've made quite a few changes on offense. All of this is to say, as I've said for a very long time as a Bears fan, they're not moving away from Trubisky. They're going to give Trubisky his best shot, and they're they're more than they're going to try to go get one of these older veteran guys to bring him into camp and potentially see wh- how it goes. But I don't. They're not ready to move on. They can't move on from Trubisky. That's the that's the thing. They can't. Yeah. It doesn't they matter can't. if they want to or they. Yeah, I mean, they, they, can't. they can't. They traded they up to get him. And yeah, they, they, they're stuck. They can't do it. They went twelve and four last year, and they had and they went eight and eight this year. If you're in Chicago, you would assume that they went 0-16 with the season they had this year, right? Well, we've talked about this a lot. What you do in the first half of the season, for whatever reason, seems to be the identity of your team yes. in public perception. Uh, unless you go on a crazy – unless you go on a Titans-like run uh, where you just completely blow it out of the water. Whatever you did the first eight or nine weeks of the season, it seems like people kind of stop paying attention to the nuances of teams in the back half of the year, and I don't understand why. But look, Trubisky showed some, some significant – now, improvement over – Terrible play. I mean, the For baseline sure. of the, that he was showing improvement on it was not very high, but he showed some significant improvement in the second half of the season. Anthony Miller getting more involved in that offense was a huge get for them because once he was involved more, even with Taylor Gabriel out of the lineup, he gave Trubisky that second threat. They're going to need some tight end help at some point. They didn't get anything at all from Trey Burton for two years now. Uh, they're yeah. going to need some other help at that spot there. But they're going to give him – we've all said this all season. They're going to give him the first shot. But I think this is going to be a lot like what the Titans did where you bring in a veteran behind him, whether it's – I don't know if they have – we'll have to get into their cap space, whether they can trade – I guess Andy Dalton has one year. I think it's $17 million cap hit left on his deal, whether they can bring him in. They whether, whether it is somebody else that they're going to bring in behind him as a more veteran presence and give Trubisky that – that full like competition where like he would have to absolutely be abysmal to lose it in the in the offseason but knowing you're going to have a quick hook three four five weeks in the season if things don't improve or if he starts out 2020 like he did 2019 but you have to give this a shot especially if you're Ryan Pace because if Mitch Trubisky's out you're this might be a package deal too and you're out too well, first of all, Ryan Pace has done a hell of a job. Other than the Trubisky thing, he has built a hell of a team. The Khalil Mack trade, he gets a lot of credit for a lot of things that he did. Uh, and it's not the easiest GM job in the world with ownership and stuff in Chicago, we all know. To Jamie's first point of why people we, – we look at these like however you start the year and however your preseason hype was is, is all of a sudden that's who you are in November. If you look at it like the NFL coaches do, when you break down who we're playing next week, you go back the last four games, Right. So if you do that at times in Chicago, Mr. Trubisky had a damn good four-game run. Now, he started off with a world-beatingly negative four-game run to, to begin the year. He got better with Miller. Uh, I think the running game is going to be better. You know, the DeFilippo thing, I don't know if it matters. Like, they're trying to bring in a big name that's going to fix the quarterback situation. I mean, there's all kinds of different accounts. That Frank Reich was really the quarterback coach not the offensive coordinator. Peterson was the, you know, the head coach, play caller. I don't know how much he actually did, but I think it's still going to help. Um, Filippo didn't work with with Nagy. So like, but they all come from that same Andy Reid tree, right? Yeah. I don't think it hurts. They can't sign Dalton. There's no way they can pick him up at $17 million. The good thing they can do is they pay Chase Daniels a lot of money. So if they move on there – I mean, Blaine Gabbert's already locked up or hopefully going to be locked up in Tampa. I think he's actually available. But you could get a guy like that that's a former first-round pick that's very similar to Mitch, that's 
230, big time arm, those well on the move. Um, somebody like that, you could pick up for three or four million to still push. Like that's really smart. They, I don't, I don't think they can have a quick hook on Mitch. They're so locked into this thing with Mahomes and Deshaun Watson doing what they're doing, going after Mitch, and you traded up to get him. And he had a really good four week stretch there when they're fully healthy on offense. I and mean, Kyle Long uh, retiring, being but being out all year, the offensive line wasn't the same as it was the year before. I think you have to focus on that, focus on the run. Uh, but I like the fact that they brought in more guys. I mean, the more good coaches you have on a coaching staff, the better you're going to be, period. Yeah, that's and that's the point here. I think from my perspective, obviously, with vested interest in how the Chicago Bears look next year, this is this is an upgrade for them. I think this is a good thing that they're going to bring more quality people into the room, into the quarterback room with Mitch, because if you watch Mitch, he, when he is thinking, when he is in his own head, is when he is making all of these mistakes. And there are certain things that Matt Nagy has gotten overly creative. And and Jake will say, don't get cute, Matt, right? He's And it took him halfway into the season to start playing into what Mitch does very well, right? And it, We were screaming in week two, right? Get him on the move and let him start doing that early in the game, and he settles in. Because exactly. he plays instinctually and he's not thinking. You're, yep. you're exactly. But it took him to like week eight when he went on that four game good stretch to do that. And and I don't know why it did. And I don't know if it was more on Mitch or more on Matt Nagy. I'm not inside that locker room. I don't know that. But I can tell you that I I watch enough of this football team to know what Mitch looks like when he's not overthinking things. And it's not a coincidence that when he started rolling him out, he looked a lot more comfortable. And some of the things Jamie's talking about the the tight end position towards the end of the season they had guys that they called up that started playing huge spots for them because they had thought they had Trey Burton he ended up not playing at all of a position for this team they missed Jordan Howard period they yes. did they missed Jordan Howard in moments I understand that I, I think David Montgomery is going to be a great kid he was a rookie he had a a good season not a great season but he wasn't Jordan Howard I, I don't know how much Jordan Howard would have. That offensive line got beat up. It's still at the end of the day, you're the, you're the freaking Bears in the NFC North. You need offensive line game. help, and you need a tight end that's a tight end. Trey Burton's a receiver. Yes. That, yes. that was a stupid hire in a cute offense that was fine in year one when you surprised everybody. But you're the Bears. With that defense, you could run it 40 times a game, throw it 18, and win 9-6. to six. Yes. yes. Play complimentary football. You don't have to be a high-flying offense with that defense. You put that defense in bad situations all year, that defense was almost as good as it was a year before. They gave up less points per game this year than they did the year prior. Right. It had more, they had more sacks. Chuck, Chuck blitzed more. We talk about the difference between Chuck and Vic, but I said there's not, there's not going to be a tangible difference in how the defense plays. The offense was awful. They put them so, in bad situations all year. But you're the Bears. Run the yeah. freaking ball. Fix the offensive line. Get a real tight end. That block, like, get Vance McDonald. Like a dude like that, right? If he can stay healthy, you're talking about 260 pound road grader. That's like a bigger version of Kittle. He doesn't have to have the the Kittle catching ability. The Kittle block, like that dog, the nasty. That you're the Bears, right? This, the cute stuff is fine. I don't care any any other team, basically, other than the Bears. Like go be the Bears. Yeah, and I've been, I've been starting working on this offseason project. There are 28 quarterbacks that are UFA. So if we get rid of the big, the huge, the huge names, the Brady's, the Prescott, the guys, the, none of those guys. Some other potential options that you're looking at are you got Marcus Mariota, Blake Bortles, Case Keenum, Brett Hundley. We, Jake already mentioned Chase, Chase Daniel, who's been their backup there. Drew Stanton, Blaine Gabbert, Jeff Driscoll, uh, Matt Moore. 
you know, uh, the guess not going to be Josh McCown now because of uh, his season's going to be over. But Colt McCoy, Nate Sudfeld. So I mean, those are the guys that are just our UFAs that are available. I don't hate the Marcus Mariota thing. Me too. I, I, I mean, we all we all don't like him as a player, but he fits this cute misdirection, throw it on the run kind of stuff. He's a really smart guy. He's a great locker room guy. I don't hate that, and you could probably get him pretty cheap. Yeah, but yeah. That, that'd be a good one to add. That's an upgrade to Chase Daniel. The rest of those, I mean, a lot of those guys. Or it's blah, whatever. Like Drew Stanton, I'm pretty sure is, is done. Um, I don't. I mean, the rest. You, I don't know that you need. Like, I like Matt more that he was in Kansas City and he knows the offense and that kind of stuff. But Matt is a fill-in. That's not somebody's going to put pressure on Mitch. Exactly. Marcus, Marcus Mariota is a Heisman Trophy winning big name. That if he's your <laughs> he's your backup and he's your upgrade, it's still not. I still like that. Whether he can actually push him or not, the fact that he's there, I think, pushes Mitch. Yeah, uh, it'll push him because the media will push yes. him. That, that's that's what matters, right? Marcus Mariota gets traded to Chicago. There's going to be pressure on Mitch. There's yeah, already pressure on Mitch. It's it's going to be a lot more pressure if Marcus Mariota's in that quarterback room. You, that, you break down those first eight weeks, Paige, that you were talking about. I have a feeling, and I don't know this because I haven't been to Bears practice, that Mitch probably looks pretty damn good at practice. He's a talented dude that can spin it. I can see Nagy seeing him at practice day in, day out, and then struggle on Sunday and try to figure out why. Because he's doing what is being asked of him in practice. He can drop back and throw it because he's not putting the pressure, the extra pressure on himself on Sundays, right? And then he gets out there and struggles. So I can see why it took to like week eight before they just said, okay, we got to put him on the move and do this. Because he probably looks good all week. And they want to, you know what I mean? They're going to call those plays the way that he practiced them, the way that he looked, and then he can't do it on Sundays. I think part of this is Mitch figuring it out. And I think he did there for a while. But they helped him with the putting him on the move stuff. But I don't know that they can necessarily come out and do that uh, immediately, like to start the season, Kevin Cobb syndrome. Yeah, it's I don't know what Just it is, but practice Hall of Famer. Like I, I get a Mitch, get a, Mitch is better than Kevin Cobb, yeah. but, but you know, but that same thing where you have a guy that you go, you watch him get practice, and you're going, this he. They're doing everything, and then they come to a game, and it's just not translating. Listen, Mitch was at his best, period, when he could run. That is, he is so athletic, and taking that part of his game away from him, whether that was Matt Nagy or not, that was a disservice to this football team, period. I watched him play in three live games in Chicago in the 2018 season. There was one time he ran on the New England Patriots for an 80-yard touchdown. I think I've said on this show a bunch. He's one of the best running quarterbacks in the league. He has some of the greatest runs you'll ever see from the quarterback position. I'm talking about Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick included. I said this multiple times. That has to be part of their offense. They were scared of him getting hurt. And then he got the shoulder injury, and they backed off all of that stuff. So there's things that went into it, but you have to fix the offensive line. You have to add a real tight end, and it can't be in the draft because these guys are all receivers at this point. Like, it has to be – got to get somebody that's basically another offensive lineman that, that has that dog mentality. And, yes, because you still have weapons. Allen Robinson had a great year. Yes, Miller he did. came on. If he can stay healthy, he's a freak. He's a little dude, but he plays so physical. Great run after the catch. You don't have to have, like, eight of these guys. You still have Gabriel. And, you, and then you still have Treat Cohen with trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do with him. But David Montgomery needs to be the dude. Yeah. Like the dude, 100%. fix the offensive line and run the ball. Because Mitch, go back to what the Giants did late. Run, 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 play action, get Mitch on, on a naked boot, on the move. Daniel Jones was doing very similar guys. Daniel Jones is a lot more accurate from the pocket. But they both throw it really good on their own. They're both really athletic. And Mitch can run a lot better than Daniel Jones. Yeah. But That's, to me, it all, it all has to start with the run. When your defense is that good, like world-beating good, 
don't put them in a bad position to lose the game. Yeah. Just and just play complimentary football. It's like the complimentary football piece got completely missed here by trying to be better on offense than they needed to be. They didn't have to be that good. They could have been like 26th in offense. As long as, the, as long as the offense was like, okay, we're okay on time of possession. We run it enough. We don't turn it over. We, they'd have won more games, period. Like I said, they were eight and eight. They were two games out of a. If they they beat the Vikings twice, if they had if they had two they they that game of the Chargers they lost. They hit two field goals, and guess who's in the postseason? The Chicago Bears, not the Minnesota Vikings. Right. That's and that's, that's my point. Thing. And you and they were a big regression from the year before, which I kind of could see coming. But go back to what they did the year before. They surprised people. I think they're going to be better next year. But I think it all starts with running the football. Has to and it. Has they, to. If they do that, it's just it's, that defense is going to be that good again. Yeah. They, they don't, I mean, they're not going anywhere. They're not losing anybody. No, they're not losing anybody, and they had some significant injuries to that team. Akeem Hicks, Danny Trevathan, uh, uh, Roquan Smith. Those three guys missed the last quarter of the season. Trent Mookamore in this time. Yeah, I mean, they're, they, they, they're healthy on defense. They don't have to be great on offense. They just have to play complimentary football. Mitch doesn't have to be a hero at that point. Yeah, much better recipe for success. All right, the last thing we're going to yeah, talk Dan, about. Danny Trevathan's really their only significant UFA. Yeah. I'm of like a starting player. And oh, by the way, Nick Kwiatkowski that came in and played for him yeah. played pretty damn good. He's a damn yeah, good I mean, player. He's, he's a UFA too. So one of those two guys, they're going to have to resign. But I mean, otherwise. Yeah, no, they have everybody back on yeah. defense. They locked up their, they locked up Eddie Jackson, who was the big guy that's already this offseason. That was, and uh, oh, by the way, pretty damn good fourth round pick. There, Ryan Pace. Just just for all the Bears fans that like to harp on all the bad stuff Ryan Pace has done. There's not all the bad stuff. He's done one bad thing. This one team is built. That's it's it. just phenomenal. They were fine on the cap. They've got weapons everywhere. The defense is phenomenal. You made the trade for Clomac. Like he's done an awesome job. Yes. Other than the quarterback, which I don't know that that was all him. Uh, 100%. And it's good to note that Chicago, show me our great quarterbacks. In the history of the Chicago Bears, Find me the great quarterbacks because this is what the organization is. So stop getting upset about it. Just understand the identity of this team. Run the damn football, play complimentary football from the quarterback, and play really, really good defense. You don't need anything else. And just because you brought it up, I still – I said this on draft day and I said this now. I am still – was blown away at how far Eddie Jackson fell in that draft. Yes. I, I don't know what the disconnect was there. Because they were he was being talked about as a first round talent yeah. in his final year. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden just started slipping, slipping, slipping. Yeah, he's a star and I'm glad he slipped and I'm glad the Bears were able to get him. Uh the last thing we're going to talk about here before we get into the games is the Odell Beckham Jr. fiasco that just continues. Part seven. Part seven, part twenty seven really when you combine <laughs> everything that he's done in his career. Uh listen he was, uh, we talked about this on the last podcast and he, this is another video that has now come out. So this is what's happened since Monday's podcast or since two, Wednesday's since podcast, Wednesday. they have released more videos of, of Odell Beckham Jr. doing stupid stuff because when you're Odell Beckham Jr. and you're on the football field and there are college students with phones, guess what? Everything is going to be videotaped. And he knows this. Of course he does. Of course he does. And I don't know. He's definitely intoxicated. I don't know that he's on if he's on drugs or what he's doing, but he's definitely not in his right mind when he's doing this. He is stealing the uh, megaphone from the choir from the choir director, right? Who's who's sitting there with the band director, and the band director is very visibly upset, right? Very annoyed, and he's yelling for the song "Net" to be played. Okay, I'm not going to get into the details of the song. But we all, it's we all a, know it's what it is. It's sort of an unofficial anthem. Yes, of it's LSU. an unofficial anthem of LSU. Whatever. 
the, he is trying to take it away from Odell Beckham Jr. He is not giving it away. He continues to scream into the megaphone, then starts gritting his teeth, pulling his chest out. Very strange behavior. All of it captured on the internet. Feel free to type in OBJ on Twitter. It will be the first thing that pops up. Either that or him slapping the cop. Yeah, slapping the the cop. All of of this to say, how much stupid stuff are you going to do? How much self-serving behavior are you going to do to where people just stop giving him the benefit of the doubt? How many times is he going to do stupid stuff before we all just call it what it is? He's a pain in the ass, period. And I wouldn't want him on my football team. I don't. I, I, the talent is not worth it. It's not. And this is another example. If you're an LSU Tiger, you're annoyed between the money thing that you're now potentially going to be a scandal for your school. You got slapping a cop, stealing stuff from the band director, annoying the st- – I mean – I don't care that Yoda Beckham Jr. After the worst season you just had in your NFL career. Not, not like By that, the way, I have so many thoughts on this page. I'm just seeing all my time to you, Jake. Go ahead. No, I mean, I'm not even going to go on a rant today because there's, there's so many parts of this. Like how many times did they show Odell Beckham Jr. during the game? A bajillion. They never even mentioned that Patrick Peterson, first ballot Hall of Famer, standing next to him. Tyron Matthews, Matthews. upper defensive player of the year, and by the way, going to the AFC Championship, standing next to him. Ezekiel Elliott was on the sidelines. They didn't even go to LSU. Thank you. Much bigger name and player than OBJ. Jarvis Landry was better on his own team. And they didn't even mention any of these other names. It's not even his fault. The damn media is pushing OBJ as this giant freaking thing with all those other players I just mentioned. There's more of them than that on the sidelines. Are better players. They didn't even say he's standing next to Patrick Peterson. Patrick had no love at all. That pisses me off. So that's like one thing that the media is like, oh, there's OBJ on the sidelines. Who gives a shit? Michael Thomas was right next to him. The yes. significantly better wide receiver. What pisses me off more than that, because I don't even care. Like, okay, great. Show the guys there on the sidelines. Every NFL game, every every Georgia game, Alabama game, that's, there's always dudes there. On their off week, there's always guys there. They, they handle themselves in a certain way, and the school makes sure they handle themselves in a certain way, which OBJ went so in many different directions off the reservation here. What really pisses me off is that Joe Burrow just completed the greatest season of any college player in the history of the world. After Cam Newton's one season, this is the greatest season any college football player's ever had. Any position, any anything. First time LSU's ever gone 15-0. and And Coach O, who many people didn't think deserved the job and he was going to get fired and he's just co- – he did an unbelievable job and he couldn't even enjoy the damn game before the freaking sports information directors and athletic directors were in his damn office in the locker room after the game saying, we've got a problem. O- Odell Beckham Jr. is paying players on the field. He's now slapping cops. All the guys are smoking cigars in the locker room to the point where there shouldn't be cops in there and there damn sure shouldn't be cops in there threatening to arrest the guys that just won the game. But you're not smoking cigars in the locker room in the Superdome, but that's not your home. There's so many things, but they coach O and Joe Burrow, Joe, Joe probably did, but it still takes it. It tarnishes him getting to enjoy this, but the head coach had to immediately go into protection mode of his school and his team and his beloved Tigers because of one asshole that's on the sidelines and in the locker room doing this. Like it was, and it was one guy. We just named six or seven dudes that were on the sidelines that all handled themselves with class. And I'm sure they were all drinking, having a good time. They're there to celebrate, minus Tyron, who's probably getting ready to, you know, flew back out to go to Kansas City, whatever. I, I just, I don't know. I, it, that's the biggest thing that pisses me off is that team and that coaching staff and that coach 
did all that and worked that hard and went 15-0 for the first time in school history and won the national championship and dusted everybody and probably one of the greatest college football teams we've ever seen. If you look at, they beat all four preseasons, top seven top tens, all the stuff we talked about. And the head coach couldn't even take a deep breath in his locker room after the game and go, damn, that was awesome, before somebody's busting in the door going, we got a problem. You know what? That, that's, that's just that's just that's yeah, so unfortunate. It is. It's it, that's a great point that you bring up. And the other point is to the media point. He's the least decorated NFL player of all of the guys that we just mentioned. He's the one who's had the least success in the NFL, and it's the one we're talking about. He's the one that everybody's watching. Why? Because he made one really good catch in New York. Is that why we're talking about him? I just no, because he slams his head in the freaking kicking net and his helmet, and he throws shit and he. Gets in fights and he's polarizing. Yeah. And the media is just like social media. The pol- sure. more polarizing, the better. Michael Thomas will never get that kind of spotlight because he's a great dude. He's a good pro. Because he, he plays. Exactly. Really, really That's a great pro. word. That's a great word, Paige. He's a great pro. He's, he's a, a pro. professional. He handles himself like a professional. Correct. Odell Beckham Jr. handles handles and has handled himself like an amateur for like a, a very toddler. very long time. For a very long time. And it's obnoxious. I'm not, I don't think it's cute anymore. I don't think it's funny. I don't care about his outfits. No, you're in Cleveland, dude. Sit there and figure your shit out. Go play football, go win some football games, and then maybe we should talk about you again. Because literally, I don't care what you do. I don't. You're not relevant. You're the second best wide receiver on your freaking football team. You don't even belong in the same conversation as Michael Thomas. Thank you very much. Like, go away. I'm so tired of seeing you. And if I was Tyron and Pat and all those guys, I wouldn't even want to be around him. I'd be like, dude, you're annoying. You're obnoxious. Patrick Peterson and Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew's kid was there. You think Tyron wants his kid around that stupid-ass behavior? I can tell you. I know Tyron. I guarantee he didn't like that behavior. Guaranteed. And there's a reason when they're all out on the field, Tyron and Pat and Michael are all together and Odell's off by himself. Because he's acting like an ass. Those guys don't like that, and the fans don't like it. And to your point, Jake, if I was Ed, that would be the number one thing I'd be pissed off about because this is your moment. I guarantee Ed is never going to have a better season or a better football moment in his entire career, and it was ruined because Odell Beckham Jr. is a self-serving brat. He didn't get to enjoy it for five minutes before he had to deal with this chaos. So don't think for a second that LSU – didn't know immediately what was going on with the Maybe money. Show, they put around. out a statement on Twitter right as it happened. You think Ed didn't know about it? Oh, of they course. had to let him know about he it. Happened. That's what I'm saying. He's probably because you know head coaches, especially in this is an NFL locker room. There's a locker room, and then the head coach has their own little deal. And he couldn't even sit there with his wife and enjoy it for five minutes and his kids, and take a deep breath and let the shoulders come down of what and, and let it sink in what you just pulled off before somebody's kicking the door and saying, "Coach, we got a problem." Because who are they going to go to? They have they're to going go to coach. Him. They're going to coach. They have to go to him. Yep. So that, that that part's so unfortunate. It's not even funny. It's unfortunate because what's going to happen is they're probably not going to allow these NFL guys to be around as much, and it's unfortunate because the small minority ruins it for the majority. Yes, yeah, and you know what also ruins it for play. is the kids that love it. Yeah. Yeah. The kids on that team all went to LSU because they're LSU guys, right? But they yep. know that all the DBs like know it's DBU. Yes. All the receivers know who OBJ was and what he did when he was there and what Jarvis did. These guys were better, by the way. I said that. But, like, they love that they're all there. They love that Devin White was a star on their team and then went and was up for rookie of the year and had a great – and he comes back and they're like, oh, that's me next year. 
And those guys can't be around. It's unfortunate for the guys on the team too. Yep, it sure is. It's, Minus it's, the fact that they're all going to be uh, a lot less off financially. <laughs> Listen, I think those guys that he was handing that money to are going to be just fine. Probably wasn't necessary, Odell. Uh, those two guys are going to the NFL. And they're going to be yes. pretty high, pretty high draft picks. They're going to be making their own money, and I don't think it was necessary in that moment. Or at least find another moment where you're not on national television. Like, Jesus. Like literally any other moment. Any other moment other than that moment. Uh, but too much time wasted on Odo Beckham Jr. And there's way there's way better stuff to talk about, i.e. these very, very important football games on Sunday. The first game is the AFC Championship game between the Tennessee Titans and the Kansas City Chiefs. Seven and a half point favorites at home, the Kansas City Chiefs. The big injury I teased at the top of the podcast is Chris Jones. He missed last week's game. That was kind of a last minute. We, on Friday last week, didn't even talk about it because it was very much downplayed. Mm -hmm. Now, Jamie and I talked about it before coming into the podcast. It's looking like he's not going to play, and that could have a huge impact on this defense. We know they won last week, obviously, but this is a different team. Tennessee's feeling themselves. They've already gone on the road twice and beat two giant football teams. They are unafraid of Arrowhead. I can tell you that much. Uh, How much is this injury going to impact this defense, Jake? Uh, Because this is a big one. Uh, those, those, we talked about it the other day. I mean, those guys don't grow on trees. You're talking about a defensive tackle who stuffs the run up the middle, demands double teams, but can rush the passer. And you're talking about a defense. If you go, we talk about Jamie just talked about the first eight weeks, they sucked. They gave up a ton of, they were number one against, you know, for fantasy running backs. Then they got really good. But Chris Jones is such a part of what they want to do. You cannot replace a guy like that. If he's not 100%, which by all accounts, if he plays, he's not going to be 100%. It doesn't even look like he's going to play. It's a gigantic loss. It's enough for me to go, okay, we're picking this game. Yeah, I don't know that Kansas City can cover that without Chris Jones. Because I don't know that their defense is going to play the same way. Yeah, that's my big concern too. Because Derrick Henry ran all over Kansas City in their last game. And if you want to – you want you want to. It was really before the defense turned it around. But he, but he did. But that was with Chris Jones in the game. You know, yes, so now Chris yes. Jones is not going to – he might not be there. Again, we, we there is – as little clarity as we have on a normal NFL Friday, yeah, there's even not. less going yeah. into Championship Sunday. He's not going to be 100% either way. But he's – yeah, he's definitely not going to be 100%. But the, the way you're going to – the blueprint for beating the Chiefs in this game is to take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hand. This is not rocket science. I'm not spitting anything new and new information right now. It's taking the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, limiting the amount of possessions Kansas City can have. How do you do that? By running the ball effectively. Oh, look, that's what Tennessee loves to do anyway. So that, that that's going to be the obvious key of the game is how many possessions can they limit Patrick Mahomes with? Because as we saw in the second half, oh, the second three quarters uh, of the game against Houston, it doesn't take many possessions when you're scoring every single time you have the yeah. ball. Uh, obviously, Tennessee's defense is better than Houston's defense, but still point taken there. So I think this is going to be – an extremely interesting game to me that if the, it's a clash of styles in the sense that what Tennessee does well is the formula that you can use to have the best chance against the, against the Chiefs. So we'll see if they can keep it close. I'm, you know, I, I've gone back and forth this all week because both the lines are the same. They're they're a touchdown and a hook, seven and a half for both of the home teams here. I'm going to, it's high. I don't like, I'm going to lean towards Kansas City's offense just because as much as I love what Tannehill's been doing, Again, I don't think that Tennessee's a team built to play from behind. And I think if Mahomes and the Chiefs 
come out to anything better than what they did in the last start in the first quarter <laughs> and they get up in this game, it's going to be tough for them. It's going to be easier to take Tennessee out of their game and what they do best than it's going to be able to take Kansas City out of what they're able to do best on offense. So I'm going to lean towards Kansas City here, but I would like it a lot more if it was seven than seven and a half. Yeah, I don't, I don't like seven and a half. I'm still going to take the Chiefs 31-23, so I got them by a half a point. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I lean towards a lot of what you just said. And you can't take Kansas City out of what they want to do for an entire game. They're going to have to string together 10, 12 play drives where Henry's running it really well. And Tannehill is completing third downs, and they keep those drives going. That's so hard to do in the NFL. It's so hard to do on the road, and it's damn sure hard to do in the playoffs. And you're going to have to do four quarters of that because the Chiefs only need a minute. So unless you're going to be beating them by 30, because they were down 24 last week in the first quarter, and they came back and won by double digits. I just don't see a way. Kansas City's going to score 30 on everybody. And this defense is okay, but I watched them live. They're okay. They're not, they're not great at rushing the passer. I don't expect Kansas City to run it very well, but I think that plays right into what they want to do anyway. Let's put it on Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs and let it fly. Their defense has been good enough that I think they'll get some stops. So unless Tennessee's getting a bunch of turnovers, I just don't see them keeping pace. And I don't want to do any injustice to what they've done the second half of the season and the first two weeks of the playoffs. But Kansas City, the way they're playing and healthy is a different animal. Whether Chris Jones plays or not, I think they'll get enough stops that they're going to not allow 10 and 12 play drives over and over and over where Patrick Mahomes just isn't on the field. I think it's going to be really close up until the end. I think this is going to be a really, really close game up until a, a touchdown drive that probably puts this away whether or not they cover that spread or not I just there's something about Tennessee and the magic that I've seen that I just gonna keep riding with them to go in I don't think they're gonna win this football game I just don't think they're gonna get beat by eight points and if I was if I was betting I would not bet on this line because I think seven and a half in the postseason is a lot seven and a half against a team like Tennessee who's already beaten two exceptional teams on the road unafraid all the momentum they need I think I think Kansas City wins this game. I just if you're a better, I would stay away from this line because I, I yeah think I don't it, I don't love it for sure. But you look at the fact that they played so good that their quarterback didn't have to throw for 100 yards in the first two playoff games. I yeah, cannot I cannot fathom that being the case here. And Tannehill was great the second half. He was the most efficient quarterback in the NFL after he took over as the starter. He's going to have to make some plays. AJ Brown cannot be non-existent like he was the first two weeks of the playoffs. Absolutely, Johnu Smith's got to be big. Uh, Corey Davis has to show up and play somewhere and Tannehill is going to it's going to he's going to have to make some plays I mean I don't think there's sure. any way even if Derrick Henry goes for 150 or 180 Kansas well, City is going to get theirs like, you still have to like Derrick Henry I can see Derrick Henry going for 150 and them still being down by 14 well the the Late reason this, that I, yeah, yeah the reason that I still feel comfortable in in choosing the Chiefs in this game is because with all due respect to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens Tennessee Titans haven't played this offense like this okay this is a fully healthy rolling good version of this offense and when they are rolling they are period the best offense in the NFL and, What's and the weather going to be like? I didn't even look. Do you guys have the weather in front of you? It was. I mean, it's going to be cold. But let me see. I'm going to look up right now. What I was going to say because snow the, impacts things. If it's if that's going to play a part, there was like a weather it warning. It didn't affect before. Patrick Mahomes and the blizzard they played in earlier this yeah, year. Yeah, that's like, it. Won't affect him. The Chiefs are more prepared for that than the Titans are for sure. I just I, I unless it's going to be 40 mile an hour winds, I cannot. If there's a reason they can't throw it, then this game's closer than I think it's going to be. 
No, it should be no wind, no precipitation, about 25 degrees. So just cold. And that, yeah, and that's, that's nothing, though. I mean, that's, that's not yeah. affecting the patch of yeah. the They're getting all the rain as we speak. Of course. that's Well, that's a good thing. I don't want the rain. I want a cold, even keel game so we can see the best version of both teams. But I think, I think we're in for an exciting game uh, between both these guys. And I hope Mahomes just continues to be special so we can continue to talk about him and he gets the credit that he deserves yeah. for being as, as great as he is. And this was something we'll talk about if they win. Again, yeah, I still if. think it's very much and if they win uh but of all the coaches remaining i'd like to see win one i think it, it would be a oh, damn yeah. shame if andy reed doesn't win one I agree. at some point in yeah career. yeah you're, you're talking team. about a guy that's a has a hall of fame career that damn sure deserves to have one if he gets one i think he is a hall of famer yeah this is that's the as far as rooting interests go uh between the friendships that i have on that team and and andy reed just from a personal standpoint it's a this is an easy one like i i, I love what Vrabel's done it's exciting to watch the cinderella story all that stuff that's that's fun but man for andy reed it's always been he can't get that one right this would be if they can get there this is his seventh conference championship game or i was eighth? gonna say seventh two. or eighth yeah it's Man, it would be nice for him to to get into the Super Bowl and and potentially win one and and have a ring. That would be that would be phenomenal to see. All right, Wouldn't we talked about cool to see the Chiefs playing in the hundredth year of Super Bowl when they played in Super Bowl yeah. one. I.e., they played the Packers, which would be kind of crazy if they were both in in this one as well. And dear God, I hope that's not the truth. All right, the Green Bay Packers <laughs> are playing the San Francisco 49ers on the road. As Jamie alluded to earlier, it is the exact same spread, seven and a half points on the road. We already saw these two teams match up, and it was a ugly game. I saw this game live, and Green Bay was never in the game. Uh, do not think that's going to happen again. Uh, reminds, as Jake said, I think it was last week, if, if you guys didn't hear it, if you watched Arizona in the 2015 postseason, I believe, Arizona and Green Bay played in November, right around Thanksgiving. And the Green Bay Packers came to Arizona and got their asses whooped. Okay. Then they came back and played in a divisional game that went to overtime. And Larry Fitzgerald made one of the most unbelievable plays that I watched live and scored a touchdown right in front of me. And it was one of the best, it, it will go down one of the best postseason games ever. But that's the point is that a couple weeks prior, they, they had to get just destroyed. It was like 42, 10 final score. Then Aaron Rodgers had magic through. through it was the fourth and 19 or whatever. Yeah, just and Hail Mary. Hail Mary and, and, and goes yeah. to the, I mean, it was an unbelievable game, but all that to say, this feels eerily similar to that situation where I'm going, yeah, I know I saw this team get handled early in the same place on the road, but Aaron Rodgers is not going to play like that again. That team's not going to look like that again. Um, Jake, do you agree? Do you have Green Bay covering that seven and a half point spread? Or do you think San Francisco is going to take care of business? I think San Francisco is going to take care of business, but I agree with you. I don't think it's going to look anything remotely close to the first one. I mean, you go back to that, and we were talking about that game in Arizona, and we had like nine sacks. It was over in the first quarter, and it was like a third of the stands were Packers fans that were just sitting there shell shocked. And then we're up big in the playoff game, and Aaron Rodgers has the Hail Marys, brings them back, and you're like, holy. Wow. And Carson makes that unbelievable play. Larry makes that unbelievable play score. It's over with one of the greatest playoff games ever. But I can see them being late Aaron Aaron Rodgers having to have the heroics. But that defensive line being healthy with all those guys, and you look at how they got after him the first time, unless Aaron Jones has a monster game. And I think he'll have a solid game. I think they can run it on him a little bit. I don't think they have that secondary weapon enough that's going to be able to Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones is not enough for them to do that. Um, 
Although seven and a half is a lot. I, I don't even know really what I want to pick. I want to pick a very similar score to the last one and be like 31-23. So I'll go with the same exact thing. I think they do cover it. But I think it's just because Aaron Rodgers can't make that, that magic happen late and Bosa and company D Ford do make it happen late. I think this is just a bad matchup for Green Bay. I don't expect to blow up by any means, but I expect the Niners to cover, and I feel a little bit more confident about them than I do on the other game. I just don't think there's just enough weapons in Green Bay. Uh, we saw what happens when you can basically you take away the other team's best option. I think this is a very similar game plan to what happened against Minnesota. Seeing San Francisco's defense as healthy as they were and being reminded about how they play at that speed when everybody's out there, when they're, both safeties are back, when their defensive line is healthy, it's scary. And I don't – look, Aaron Jones is going to have an okay game. But, and Devontae Adams is going to get his, but there is no other option. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you else you go with the football right now. Jimmy Graham? Uh, the, yeah, the, it's not, it's not enough. Like, there's, there's not another option there. I don't think, even though, again, there's a quarterback disadvantage for the home team as a sure. favorite in this game, I just don't think Aaron Rodgers has enough weapons around him right now. San Francisco's defense is playing too strong. Now they've got Tevin Coleman back playing decent again. So now you're going to have a situation where one, somebody's going to get hot in that backfield. I just I can't see Green Bay winning this game. I'm going to take San Francisco to cover. Um, I don't think this is a blowout, but I think this is, might be a you know a ten to fourteen point game in the end. Yeah, it could be. There is a talent discrepancy here, as you talked about. There's just there's not enough going on in Green Bay. They don't have enough weapons. They just don't, and it's going to be something that we talk about a lot as we review what this team's going to look like and what the draft's going to look like and what they're going to target in this draft because. I'm telling you, those numbers are scary if you're a Green Bay fan. You look at what Devontae Adams put up, even with the injury, and the second guy, it is so far down the list from a reception standpoint. They just don't have enough, and Jimmy's not going to have to do that much, which is why, although the talent discrepancy, like you said, with with Aaron, right, where you look at the quarterback and you go, much better quarterback on one side, Jimmy's not going to have to do as much. And I trust Kyle Shanahan to scheme up and have this team ready to play, and man, that defense reminded us how exceptionally great they are because they are they're a phenomenal defense when they are fully healthy and it was it was a show last week against Minnesota and I think it's going to be that way against Green Bay and obviously I hope it's that way uh, we're, we're no, there's no for, for petty reasons only. there's for petty reasons only I hope it's exactly like the game I watched on Sunday Night Football uh do not think it's gonna happen that way though Jake any parting thoughts on today's podcast yeah my parting thoughts are give me San Francisco Kansas City in the Super Bowl all day one of the best offenses that, we'll, that, that we see when they're all healthy and one of the best defenses that we've seen all year and in a, in a while, all healthy. That, that matchup is going to be fun to analyze, fun to talk about, and damn sure fun to watch. So give me that all day long. That's my parting thoughts. Yeah, I'm really excited for – as I always am, chance of championship weekend. I'm really excited for this matchup because, look, Green Bay can still pull things off. They still yep. have Aaron Rodgers. They still have Devontae Adams, who is, again, if not – is probably the second best receiver in football for my money. Yeah, behind, behind Michael, Michael Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. Uh, just his consistency over the last couple of years and his growth as a player. It's so funny to think about – and I know Jake brought it up last year – but where Devontae Adams was three or four years ago in that offense, and the, where he was kind of an afterthought as even a young guy, and the progression that he has made as other veteran receivers have gone by the wayside in Green Bay has been nice to see. I just look, there's a lot of good – I think you're looking at a lot of good young talent for both these teams. You've got Mahomes and you've got you know Mahomes and Tyree Kill on Kansas City on the offensive side. Uh, you know, on Tennessee's offense side, you have Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown. You know, you have Devontae Adams, not really so much of a young guy, but Aaron Jones. And in San Francisco, they have some of their young pieces on offense, a wide receiver. George Kittle is becoming a star, uh, a true superstar at yeah. that position. 
it's really exciting to see because it's kind of been this new wave. Aaron Rodgers kind of still feels a little bit of like the old guard yeah, uh, being sure. in this game. It, was, it kind of felt like him, whoever won that Green Bay Seattle game was kind of going to be, will the old guard mess it up for the young kids? Uh, <laughs> but it, it's really interesting to see these games. I'm really excited to watch it. Even though they're both more than a touchdown spread, I think they're going to be enjoyable games to watch. Even if they end up being a 10 or 14 point game, whatever it might be, or eight point game as Jake has predicted, I think they're going to be exciting games to watch. There are teams that... Because you're not going to feel confident no matter what. Unless Kansas City just go, it goes and like explodes and puts up sure. 35 points in the first half or something. These games are going to feel in doubt regardless. Like, For Do sure. you feel confident with a 14-point lead in Jimmy Garoppolo staring at Aaron Rodgers getting the ball back? Are you sure they're not going to win that game? Yeah. Are you sure if this is a seven-point game and Tennessee has the ball and Derrick Henry's just – Busting off one of his, it seems like every week he has a fourth quarter run for 50 plus yards. Are you that confident he can't do it again? I think these games are going to be in doubt, even if the final score maybe doesn't represent that. Yeah, I'm excited. The matchups alone make it a hell of a lot of fun. Oh yeah, the the matchups alone make it a ton of fun. Very excited. We got a lot of new blood in the postseason in these championship games, which is exciting. And most importantly, like three, three new coaches, three new coaches in the old guard, Andy. Yeah, like it's- I, I'm I'm excited. I'm like you guys. Give me give me Chiefs and San Francisco in the in the Super Bowl. Give me Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid and Mahomes and Garoppolo. Just so much fun and excitement and newness and young quarterbacks and then the old guy and Andy Reid who everybody loves right like he's just that's going to be such a fun rooting interest but Kyle Shanahan so likable like I just give me all that storyline yeah. right give give me all that and to your point Jamie all the young talent can't go out without saying Nick Bosa and how talented oh, yes. he is how amazing he has been what a difference he has made on that team Maybe you should pay attention to what one defensive player can do for your identity. Because if you watch what that team looked like last year and what that – now I know there's a lot of other guys on that team. But watch Nick Bosa on every single play. He is so impactful. And if you're getting ready to draft this season, all of a sudden you start thinking about another guy who's coming out of that Ohio State system and what that could do for your team coming up next season, i.e. Washington Redskins. I uh, can't imagine that they won't take him. But – uh, Jake, how can everybody follow you uh, on social media? Jake B. Arians on Twitter. Jamie? Follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter. And you guys can follow me at the underscore sports page with an I on Twitter and Instagram. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.